0: Um, happy Father's Day, everybody. Had a great uh, Father's Day morning. I think some of you know we have three sons, three boys, ages four and under. So our home is just full of testosterone, a little bit of estrogen, one woman, four boys in the house. Um, so this morning, my three boys, my wife took them into the back room, I didn't know what she was doing, uh, but my three boys came running out uh, without their shirts on, and my wife had uh, painted on their chests. so my oldest boy came out with a big D on his chest, then my middle son with a big A, and then my little eight-month-old with another D, so they spelled dad on their chest, and were shouting dad, it was great, great Father's Day, so <laughs> really, really fun. Um, it's it's interesting what's happening and sad what's happening um, in homes across America. 50 years ago, um, the, the percentage of homes in America without a father in the home was 11%. That's more than doubled in the last 50 years. So it was 11% in 1960. Now it's 27% of homes in America uh, do not have dads in the home. Um, I don't know, uh, your story. Um, my guess would be in a room this size, uh, a lot of you have pretty big dad wounds. My guess would be that a lot of you grew up without a dad or with a dad, um, where there was a lot of pain there. And so I'm going to preach this morning on my favorite text in the Bible. I love this chapter of the Bible. This chapter of the Bible has changed my life. It's still changing my life. Um, if, if I had it my way, I would preach this chapter of the Bible, like, every couple months. I love this chapter. Um, And my prayer is this. Uh, My prayer is that no matter your story, God would use this text uh, to help you believe in his love and his grace for you more than you have before. Um, Everyone in this room is an unbeliever in some way. Even if you've been following Jesus for decades, um, there's a part of your heart that doesn't really believe in how radical and how good The grace of God is. There's a part of your heart that doesn't believe what it means to have a father who unconditionally loves you. And so I'm going to, I'm going to preach this text of scripture in hopes that that message would sink in more deeply. If you don't have a Bible, um, Bibles are getting passed out, raise your hand. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 and you can turn there. Luke chapter 15. Let me pray for us. Father, it is Father's Day. A great day to talk about you. A great day for who you are and what you've done for us to sink into new levels in our heart. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would move, that you would be here. We believe that the word of God is living and active, and that as it is read, as it is preached, things happen. Lives change. So come and do that in our midst today, and be glorified by it all. Thank you for Mercy Hill Church, and for what you're doing through Mercy Hill Church. Be with us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 15. Uh, Jesus is... On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus is on his way to do what he was called to do. Jesus, the son of God, fully God, fully man, came to earth to live a sinless life in our place, the life that you and I are unable to live. But the climax of his life and his ministry on earth was heading towards Jerusalem to go and be crucified on that cross in the place of sinners to atone for our sins, to bear the wrath of God against our sin. And where we're at here in Luke chapter 15 is Jesus is on his way to do this in Jerusalem. And on his way to do this in Jerusalem, Jesus keeps having these interactions with the religious leaders. He keeps having these these conversations, these confrontations with, with the Pharisees and with the scribes who are really wrestling with what Jesus is all about and who really are struggling with his grace. So in Luke chapter 15, what Jesus does is he tells three parables. He tells the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sons. We're just going to deal with the last parable, but let's look at how this starts. The, the key to really understanding... The Bible, you know this, the key to really understanding Jesus' parables, especially this parable, is to really understand the first century Middle Eastern context in which this parable was first taught. Um, We we need to understand the way the original hearers first heard this parable, because this parable just comes alive in new ways when you hear its first century Middle Eastern context. So Luke chapter 15, uh, just look at verses 1 and 2 here right now. Now the tax collectors... And sinners were all drawing near to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Here's the scene. Jesus is speaking this parable to two audiences, to two very different groups of people. The text says that that the sinners and the tax collectors are flocking to be with Jesus. These people love to be with Jesus. The sinners and the tax collectors, the most despised people in that day and age, they're, they're flocking to be with Jesus. They love to be with this guy. They're hanging out with him. The sinners and the tax collectors, they're with Jesus. But there's another group of people there. The Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes. The religious leaders. The people that go to church. The people that tuck their shirts in. The people that pay their taxes. The people that are that are doing it good. They see Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners and they hate it. They don't like any of this. They're, they're angry at this. And notice what they say. They say, not only is he with them, he's eating with them. Jesus is eating, he's having a meal, he's sharing a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Now you and I, we'll eat with, we'll eat with anybody. I mean, I'll, I'll go out to lunch and eat out with any of you after the service. I don't even know you. I'll do it. It doesn't necessarily mean anything when we eat a meal with someone. But in that day, first century Middle Eastern culture. When you sat down and you had a meal with someone, you were communicating something. You were communicating that you accepted that person, that you loved that person, that you were entering into relationship with that person. And here Jesus, the son of God, is having a meal with tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders don't like it. They're angry. They don't want to have this. So what Jesus does is he speaks three parables. As I said, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sons. So as you hear this parable, hear who Jesus is speaking this parable to. He's speaking it to the tax collectors and the sinners, and especially he is speaking this parable to the Pharisees and the scribes. They need to hear this message that Jesus is speaking. So let's, we're just going to work through this parable kind of roughly verse by verse and talk about it. We're going to read the Bible and talk about it. It's a good plan. Verse 11, verse 11, and he said, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Okay. So here's the scene. There's a father. This father has two sons. Uh, The scene is a, is an ancient uh, village in the middle Eastern world. Um so so don't picture like a house by itself out in in a farm Picture what these communities used to be like in the first century, where uh, these were villages of several hundred people, and the homes would be built very, very close together, um, as close as possible. Like Picture a dense city in terms of how close these homes are built together. They did that for safety, so that you weren't by yourself out in the country, um, but you had the ability to protect yourself from marauders and robbers that would roam. So this would be a tightly packed, dense village where everyone lived close together, but then during the day would go out and work in the fields for safety. So a father in one of these villages has two sons. Uh, in the culture of that day, what happened is when a father died, his inheritance would, would pass on to his children. And two-thirds of his inheritance, the lion's share of his inheritance, would be passed on to his eldest son, the oldest son in the family. What's happening here is the younger son in the family comes to his dad, who's perfectly healthy, perfectly fine, and says, Dad, give me the inheritance that is coming to me right now. This is a massive scandalous insult in that first century culture. What this son is basically doing is going to dad, going to his dad and saying, dad, I want you dead so I can have your stuff. Dad, you're as good as dead to me. I don't care about you. I don't care about a relationship with you. I just want the stuff that's eventually coming to me. And that culture, this father would have had every Right to just end a relationship with his son, to kick him out of the family, to kick him out of the village, to, to beat his son physically. But what is this father going to do? How will this father respond? Picking up in verse 12. And he divided his property between them. See, this father is blowing away our expectations of how fathers operate. This father is willing to suffer a broken heart. He takes the inheritance, and he divides it between his sons, giving probably two-thirds of the inheritance to the elder son and then giving the younger son his portion. And verse 13, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property and reckless living. You, you, You know people like this. Some of you have lived this life, the younger son life where you go to God and you say, God, I don't want you in my life. I'm going to be God of my own life. I'm going to run my own life. I'm going to live it my way. So the son leaves his father's house, goes off to the far country to run life his own way, thinking that there in the far country he will find what he's looking for, thinking that there he'll find the life, the satisfaction, the meaning, the purpose that he has been searching for. He goes off to the far country and he lives a reckless life. Life. The text doesn't tell us how long he's there for. Could be a year, could be several years, could be decades. He goes off and lives this reckless life. Verse fourteen. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Life did not turn out the way the younger son thought it would turn out in the far country. He he, he runs out of money. He spends it all on his reckless living. And a famine arises. And this always happens. Famines, famines always hit. Life doesn't quite turn out the way you thought it was going to go. And adverse circumstances come that force you to rethink things. A famine hits. This younger son, who was on top of the world, who thought he was God of his life, who thought he was in charge, now he's in need. He begins to be in need. So verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. First century, Jewish boys did not go near pigs. Did not eat pigs. They did not go near pigs. They did not want to eat pig food. What what the text is telling us is that this son has gone as low as he can go. He has hit rock bottom. He is now getting a job, feeding pigs, wants to eat the pig food, but no one's even giving that to him. Life is not working out so well for this guy. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him. So, so he comes up with a game plan. He's thinking about home. He's thinking about the servants who are employed by his father, who work for his father. He thinks they have it way better than I do. So, so I'm I'm going to go home and I'm going I'm to talk to my father. I've got a game plan. And here's his speech. He comes up with a speech. He comes up with this nice sounding two-part speech to speak to his father. And really pay attention to, to the two parts of the speech. Here's the first part of the speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's part one. Part two, treat me as one of your hired servants. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Part two of the speech. The son still hasn't fully woken up yet. He still thinks that the problem is the money that he's lost. The problem is that he is lost. He himself is lost. Now verse 20 is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Picture the scene. Feel the scene. The younger son. What he did to his dad, would be the equivalent in our day of, of, of going to your dad, spitting in his face, giving him the middle finger, saying, Dad, I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. You've never been good to me. I don't like you at all. And, and, and just running away and slandering your father and taking all of his stuff and, and just losing it and wasting it. The son's going to come home. And that culture, what that son did brought, he brought tremendous shame on his father and he brought tremendous shame on that whole village. And so what this son is thinking is that as he, as he returns home, as he, as he walks the pathway up to this densely packed village, He's expecting to be met with people who have not seen him in years, who are terribly angry with him, including his father. He's expected to see these people rush towards him, spit in his face, hurl insults at him, slap him, beat him, that that was common in that day, and and to say, you're not welcome here, leave and go, and, and to shun him and to not allow him into the village. And the boys come home from a famine. I mean, have you seen pictures of people who've been in a famine? Think National Geographic. So his skin and bones, I don't know what his clothes looked like, just, I'm sure, tattered and and, and ripped up. Hadn't had a shower in weeks and weeks and weeks. Just just smells and just (laughs) smells horrible, looks horrible. Nothing about him to, to make you attracted to him or that makes him commendable. What kind of welcome does he get? Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, now here we have five verbs from the father. Five verbs from the father. Five things we see this father do. Five modes of action the father takes to his lost son. First one while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him. This father had been looking for his lost son. This is not a dad who's forgotten about his lost kid. This is a dad who misses his lost kid. This is a dad who's looking for his lost kid. This is a dad who's standing outside of his house and sees way down there at the edge of the village his lost famine-stricken boy who looks so different from the last time he saw him coming home. This father sees his lost Son. Next verb. And the father felt compassion. Felt compassion. This is the Greek word, splonkna. Say that with me. Splonkna. S- say it louder. Splonkna. Splonkna. Now learn this word. Share this with your, I don't know, someone will think you're smart. Share it with someone later today. Splonkna. This is the Greek word for for your guts. It's a place where you feel the deepest emotion. Splonkna. His father looks out and he sees his lost son who he has not seen in forever. And he's ripped up inside over his lost son. There's his boy. And, and he looks so different and he's been through hell and there's his boy. And he feels compassion. His guts. He feels it. Next verb. His father saw him. His father felt compassion and his father ran. His father ran. Ran. This was unheard of in that day, and that day and time, in that culture, little children ran, boys and girls ran, but first century Middle Eastern patriarchs did not run. It was considered shameful for a father to run. father would not do that for him to run. what he would have to do is he would have to take his long robe, pull it behind him, tie it up, expose his legs in what is considered a humiliating posture, and then sprint through the village. This would be a village where people never saw middle-aged men run. And this father sprints to the edge of the village because he needs to go and welcome his son and cover up his son and head off what the villagers are going to do to his son. Beat him and spit in his face. This father needs to go there and bear that punishment and take it for him. This father, just picture this father sprints to his son. And what's next? The father saw him. The father felt compassion. The father ran. Fourth verb. And the father embraced him. The father embraced him. The smelly, famine-stricken, and bone son. The father's big arms come and he wraps his arms around the son. This is not the welcome the, the son thought he was going to get. His dad sees him and is ripped up inside of him and sprints to him and, and, and wraps his arms around him. You know, maybe... What it's like to be hugged by someone who loves you? By a father, maybe? His father wraps his arm around the son, his arms around the son, and now, fifth verb, the father kissed him. The father kissed him. I, I don't know what kind, of a, what kind of a kiss it was. Was it just... I like to think it was a... I give my sons what's called a smacker. They ask me for smackers. That's where I, I go to their cheek or their lips, and I just go... Sometimes they last 15 seconds. They're kind of gooey. And they love it. I think it was a smacker. His father hasn't seen his son. And he kisses him. Gives him a big smacker. Now what does he do? The son has a speech, remember? Time for the speech. Verse 21. Now the speech is different. Notice this. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The speech has changed. The son left off the second part of the speech. What made sense in the far country does not make sense in the father's arms. For the first time in his life, this son gets grace. He sees that he does not merit, he did not deserve, he did not earn the father's love. The guy has royally screwed up. He's just coming off the heels of his biggest ever failure. And his dad loves him. His dad shows him grace. His dad embraces him, runs to him, kisses him. And the son finally realizes that he cannot earn it back. He finally realizes that he cannot earn his way back into a good relationship with the father. He cannot earn his way back into good standing in the village and in the community. His father did it. His father paid for it. His father took the steps necessary to reconcile the relationship. And so the son simply repents. He experiences grace and he simply owns his sin. He takes responsibility for it and repents. He does not try to make excuses for it or to suggest that he can earn his way back and pay the debt. He realizes that only his father could pay the debt. And what's what's his dad say? Verse 22. But the father said, To his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So we saw the five verbs of the father. Now we have the four gifts of the father. The father says, Hey, Hey, servants, bring the best robe and put it on my boy. So that now as this boy walks through the village, everyone will identify him as a son of the father. He's not wearing his rags anymore. He's wearing the father's best robe. He's reinstated back into the family and, and put a ring on his hand. This would have been the family signet ring. Yet one more symbol that this son is part of the family. He's in the family. This is not an orphaned, estranged boy. This, this is a son that's in the family and put shoes on his feet. In that day and age, uh, Slaves went barefoot. Only sons and daughters wore shoes. Who's got shoes now? And then kill the fattened calf. This is great. Let's, the fattened calf would have, been, would have been the most precious animal uh, and most expensive animal that a family owned. With a fattened calf, you could, kill, you could feed 100 people. So the father's calling for this village-wide party. Hey, take the fattened calf, take our most prized possession as a family, and kill it, slaughter it, and we're going to throw a party. We're going to throw a feast. We're going to celebrate. Invite the whole village. We're going to have music. We're going to have dancing. It's going to be fantastic. Because my boy's home. We're going to celebrate this grace. We're going to celebrate what's happened. Because, what does he say? My boy was dead, but now he's alive. And that's what it means to know Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's, that's what we're doing in planting a church. I keep telling our church, what, what we're doing is impossible. We want to see dead people come alive in the city of San Jose. We can't do that, but God can do that. God takes dead people, people who are dead, who are lost in their sin, and he makes them alive. It's a miracle. It's grace. There's nothing greater to be a part of than doing that. That's what I want to give the rest of my life to doing that here in this city. Now, we haven't heard from the older son yet. We've spent all this time here on Father's Day talking about the younger son. So who does the younger son remind you of that Jesus is speaking this parable to? The tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors and sinners who Jesus is speaking this parable to, they've they've lived the younger son life. They've hit rock bottom. But remember, Jesus is particularly directing this parable to the Pharisees and the scribes These people who are angry at grace. These people who are angry that Jesus would have a meal with sinners. Now the father in this parable is doing exactly what Jesus was doing in this audience. Now the father in this parable is having a meal with a sinner. He's throwing a big party in honor of his younger son coming home. Now let's hear from the older son. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So the older son, he, he's not witnessed all these events. He's been, he's been way out in the field. He's not been in the center of the village where all the homes are. Uh, in, in that day, uh, the streets were, were, for most of these villages, about eight feet wide, very very narrow streets with homes so close together. This son would have been way out in the field. He didn't see anything that's gone on. He's coming in from the field, and he, he hears music and dancing. It's like, well, there's a party going on. There's, there's music. There's dancing. What, what's this all about? What's going on? Verse 26, he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Why is there music and dancing? And he said to him, the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Good news. Your brother who you haven't seen in years, he's home. He's alive. Your father's received him back safe and sound. Come on, let's go to the party. How's he going to respond? Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. But he was angry and refused to go in. For some people, grace is not just amazing, it's enraging. They don't like grace. They get angry at grace. That's not fair. He didn't deserve it. They don't like grace. Their rules don't operate that way. He's angry. He refuses to go in. Now get this, by refusing to go into this party, what this older son has done is perhaps more scandalous and more shameful than what the younger son's done. This is a party. It's a public party. It's a party that his dad is throwing. And in that culture, it was expected that the older son in a family would attend this party and would attend to his father and would attend to the guests and be present at the party. The older son refuses to go in to his father's party. It's a public insult to his dad. All the guests will notice that the older son is not there. It would have been fully expected that this father would would publicly humiliate his son and and would cast out his son and, and, and would deal with and punish his son for what his son has done. But for the second time in the same day, a reconciling father goes out to a lost son. Verse 28, his father came out and entreated him. His father came out and entreated him. The Greek word used there is very significant. It's the word parakaleo, which which means to to come alongside and speaking to someone. The the word used could have been very different. It could have been a word where, where it suggests that the father came out and he shouted at his son the father came out and he confronted his son. The father came out and um, dealt with his son, but it simply says that the father came out and, and he speaks with his son. He comes alongside his son and talks to him. Now, the older son has a speech too. The younger son had a speech, a speech that changed once he experienced grace. The older son has a speech. Let's listen to his speech, verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He's angry. He doesn't even address his father. The younger son at least had the humility to call his father father as he began his speech. This son just starts in with, look. And he he talks all about his performance. He says, look, these many years, I've done it all right. I've gotten straight A's. I've, I've earned it. I've earned a relationship with you. I've earned your stuff. You never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. That's not even true. The father divided his inheritance. He's already given two-thirds of his stuff to the older son, more than was given to the younger son. The son has amnesia. He's not remembering all the grace and all the gifts that the father has given to him. And the son, he comes out with accusations. He hasn't even seen his brother. He hasn't even talked to his brother. And he says, "This, my brother, he's devoured all your stuff with prostitutes. We don't know that. We don't know what all the younger son did in the far country. I'm sure it wasn't good. But... But people like this, elder brother types, Pharisee and scribe types, love to compare themselves to others, love to put themselves on a higher plane than others, love to say, hey, he's been with prostitutes. I don't know that, but I'm sure he has. It's a terrible speech. So how's the father going to respond? How will the father respond to this horrible speech from his older son? Verse 31. And he said to him, Son. I I think he said it like this. I think he said, I don't know, Son. Like ten. "son, Son. 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 You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father speaks tenderly to his son and and reminds him, son, everything that's mine is yours. You already have it all. I've already given it all to you. It's yours. You don't have to prove yourself to me. It's yours. And then he defends the party. Son, it's it's fitting to celebrate and be glad because your brother's home. Because someone who was dead has been made alive. Someone who was lost has been found. And we're going to celebrate that. And then the parable, and then the parable just ends. It's this parable without an ending, and we're left wondering. What happens? I mean, aren't you like, what, what happens next? Come on, older son, what'd you do? Did, you, did the older son hear his dad's words and did they finally melt his hard heart? And did he finally just get grace for the first time? And did he enter the party and start eating and drinking and dancing and hug his brother and they lived happily ever after? What happened? Well, we know how this parable ends. We know how this parable ends. Jesus is en route to Jerusalem. Just a few weeks later, Jesus enters Jerusalem. As he enters Jerusalem... It's the religious types. It's the Pharisees and the scribes who call for Jesus' crucifixion. It's the Pharisees and the scribes, those are the ones who said, crucify him. Crucify him. And there, hanging on the cross, what was Jesus' speech? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We know how the speech ends. Father's Day is a great time to think about this. Have you felt the Father's kiss? Have you felt the Father's kiss? Now, I know a lot of you have. But have you? The the smacker, the... of God himself on your face... Have you felt the father's kiss? Have you, do you know what it is for, for the God of the universe to be your father and to come sprinting after you when you don't deserve it and to wrap his arms around you when you're covered in filthy rags and sin and scars and to kiss you and to throw a party because you're home and to put his robe on you? Have you, not just do you know that in your head, but have you felt that? We're supposed to feel these things. See, there's, there's three different speeches that you can build your life on. There are three different speeches that you can build your life on. One way of building a life, one way of living a life is, is the younger son way. You can have a speech that's basically saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm going to earn it back. You kind of see your sin, but you don't see the full depth of it. And you say, God, I'm going to earn it back to you. I'm going to devote the rest of my life to being really good. I'm going to earn it back. I'm going to pay the debt. From now on, I'm going to be perfect, God. That's one way to, to live your life. That's one speech to build your life on. It's not going to work. Another way to build your life, other words to build your life on, are the older brother's words. This is what the Pharisees and scribes were doing. That's where your speech is, God, I've earned it all. God, I deserve it. I've earned it. I've been really good. I've kept all the rules. And so you have to be good to me. You have to give me what I want. I deserve it. And that's not going to work either. And actually churches are, are, are really full of those speeches. A lot of churches are. Elder brothers who, who think they've earned it. Now the words that Jesus wants us to build our life on. The speech that we're meant to build our life on is Jesus's speech. Father forgive them. Father forgive them. The words of that speech are meant to come into our lives and change our hearts and change our whole orientation to God. When we realize that we cannot earn a relationship with God, but he is the one who's made it possible when we don't deserve it. We understood we understand that our sins are forgiven that changes everything about our minds and about our hearts and about how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. And then we go on and live a new life. I mean, what kind of life do you think this younger son lived after this party? I mean, do you think he went back to his old ways? Of course, he didn't live a perfect life after this, but after hitting rock bottom and receiving that kind of grace from the father, he lived a new life. This is what we're called to do in the city of San Jose. Jesus ran to the cross for us so that the Father could run to us and kiss us. The city of San Jose needs to hear this message. The city of San Jose needs to hear this, and it's going to hear it as we live as the church, as we do what the Father in this parable has done, as we we take hold of our lives and realize we can do what the Father's done. We need to go out to people and run to them and share this message of grace. There are people out there who need to hear this. Mercy Hill Church, we're so excited as Garden City Church to be in partnership with you. And the, God is doing something in this Bay Area. An area of almost, of almost 8 million people where, where most people have never even heard the gospel or have only heard a, a diluted version of it. Like, we we want to be giving our lives to sharing this message and bringing lost people home. It's Father's Day. Whatever your story with your dad was or is, You can have a relationship with this Father. Many of you already do, but some of you have never felt this kiss. Some of you have never felt what it's like for for God Himself to shower His grace upon you like this. This Father's Day, ponder what God has done. Ditch your speech and receive the kiss. Ditch your old speeches. I'm going to do better next time. Ditch your speech, I've earned it. And and, and cling to Jesus' speech and receive it. Let me pray for you. God, my heart breaks uh, over the experience that a lot of us have had with fathers. Some of us in this room never had a dad. Some of us in this room had very bad dads. And there's some of us in this room, and we praise you for this, who had really great fathers. God, on this Father's Day, I pray that we would be mainly aware of you as our father. Help us just to like, let that sink in for us. That we can call you Father, we can call you Dad, because of what your son Jesus did for us. Help us to feel your kiss of approval upon us, not because we've been so good, but because Jesus has been good for us. And you can approve us, and you can love us. Let that message sink in. Thank you for what you've done. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen.